organized crime that are exploiting this situation at the moment. They just have one agenda item, and that is to exploit the situation and perpetrate their crimes. They don't have to worry about, you know, compliance obligations with the FCA or FinCEN or, or FinTrack. They're singularly focused on committing crime and taking advantage of the situation. On today's podcast, we talked to Andrew Davies, VP Global Market Strategy, Financial Crime Risk Management at Fiserv. And we're talking to Andrew about the true cost of financial crime and how technology might help address that. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, featuring interviews and news from across the industry. Happy May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Yeah, you know it's also Jack Pierce's birthday. Is it? Yeah, so we'll we'll give Jack a shout out from the podcast family uh, to yep. say happy birthday. More happy more birthday. important than Star Wars Day, frankly. <laughs> yeah, we won't enough. we won't go down that route as well after after the fail that we had last time. Mm. We managed to salvage it though some, somehow. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. You know how I mentioned about getting Chinese face masks when I bought um, mm. trainers that were mm. fake and it was fraud. I should have saved that story for this episode, surely. Yes, you should have actually. Yeah, yeah. that was really poor. <laughs> yeah, expo- exposing everything at once. Well, I don't know. You know, may- may- maybe this is just a learning curve. You know, you're not as a, as much of a pro as you know all your uh, accolades say you are i think <laughs> still yeah. an at times. i yeah. used my credit card i suspected yeah. it was going to be fraud it yeah. was fraud but the deal was so bloody good i went ahead with it anyway yeah exactly exactly and also to be fair it could be much worse you you got something in return at least and yes you know. absolutely i'm sure that surgical face masks will come in handy at some point yeah exactly exactly you never know might be needing them sooner rather than later if uh if things go pretty well over the next week or so, but let's see. Yeah, relaxing social distancing and whatnot. Mm. Fingers crossed. Anyway, yes, today's uh, show, we will get stuck into the interview pretty quickly. Um, Our guest is Andrew Davies. He is from Fiserv, and he is the VP Global Market Strategy, Financial Crime Risk Management. Try to say that one quickly, Akish. Yeah, Uh, helpful. (laughs) It is. But in essence, Andrew is helping uh, their customers deploy technology to help financial crime uh, and risk management. So we'll hand over to the interview, and then when we come back, we'll have a chat about it, and there'll be some tech news later on the show. So on today's show, we are being joined by Andrew from Fiserv, all the way from, from New York. How are you today, Andrew? I'm great, thanks, David. Nice to speak to you. Yes, and whilst you're in New York, you are a British native. How, how have you not picked up more of an accent, to be perfectly honest? I mean, how do you say coffee out of interest? <laughs> Amuse me for a moment. I, I still say coffee. Um, I refuse to say tomato and still say tomato. And um, I think it's mostly because I've had pretty much a global role um, in, in my job and I've worked a lot with uh, UK companies in that time. Um, my wife works at the American Museum of Natural History and works with the US uh, public quite a lot. So she has a bit more of a US accent. accent. She's originally from Stafford, but uh, she's, she will say some things that uh, are slightly differently to me at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, look, you you work for Fiserv. If anyone is not familiar with the business, do you mind just very quickly setting in context who the business are and what you do for them? Yeah, absolutely. Fiserv's a Fortune 500 company with around $15 billion in annual revenue. We recently integrated a company called First Data. We operate globally in around 100 countries with 
around 44,000 um, employees, and we provide uh, financial services technology. Uh, we consider ourselves one of the largest fintech companies in the world, and our aspiration is to help um, consumers of financial services move money and data in a way that moves the world. So a lot of payment uh, systems, a lot of core banking systems, but also working collaboratively with financial institutions to help them solve particular problems, regardless of the uh, particular technology that they're using. Myself for Fiserv, I'm actually in a very privileged role. I, I actually help our customers and our prospects deploy technology to manage financial crime risk. So whether that be compliance obligations around uh, potential money laundering, detecting internal and external fraud, but really, I'm that liaison between the uh, the industry, our prospects and customers, and our product team to make sure we have effective financial crime risk management assets that um, can benefit consumers of financial services ultimately. Mm. Now, whilst physical crimes and burglaries in particular and thefts have dropped dramatically in the current uh, lockdown, as you might imagine, the same, unfortunately, cannot be said of financial crime, right? In fact, lots of actors are taking advantage of the current situation. It, it, exactly. And and that proliferation of, of um, financial crimes like attempting to steal identities, um, exploiting the current um, crisis situation, it's a bit like a denial of service attack. It can al almost be um, some distraction while you're conducting some other financial crime. So people are dealing with obviously the difficult situation that we find ourselves in as a uh, economy and a financial services market today. And, and even consumers of financial services are changing their behavior, um, you know, more online transactions, less cash, cash transactions. People aren't going to the stores using their cards, certainly not here in Manhattan. So all of those um it's really a sort of perfect storm of all of those attributes, giving the nefarious parties and organised crime the opportunity to exploit the situation, and they're certainly taking advantage of it. If you if you look on LinkedIn, there are daily posts about how people should be, you know, looking out for unusual fish, phishing attempts, looking out for unusual behaviour on their um, their particular accounts and their financial services, and and you know, we're not talking about you know people sitting in a garage trying to sort of perpetrate crime. We're talking about organised crime, um, exploiting the situation. And I'd actually listened to one of your podcasts, I think, with um, Megan from um, Star uh, Starling Bank in the UK. Yeah, and, and she was yeah. talking. Yeah, it was a, it was a great uh, um, uh, discussion that you had with uh, Megan. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about is um, – the the folk, you were talking about how banks should focus and fintech should focus in that session. It was really uh, a good point. Of course, uh, banks when they're focusing on provision of their services, you know they're worried about okay, not only the provision of the services, but the compliance obligations and the risk associated with those services. Organised crime that are exploiting this situation at the moment, they just have one agenda item, and that is to exploit the situation and perpetrate their crimes. They don't have to worry about, you know, compliance obligations with the FCA or FinCEN or or FinTrack. They're singularly focused on committing crime and taking advantage of the situation. It's it's really interesting that you make the point that it's on LinkedIn and there are daily updates at the minute. I'll be perfectly honest. 
I'd miss those. And it's not something that I'm seeing reported in the news. And I'd imagine that's because the news is overwhelmingly about the number of cases of COVID, the number of deaths in a country, the political response. So this could kind of go under the radar. But I suppose that is almost unexpected when you look at the industry over the last 14 or 15 years, where there hasn't really been any progress in this area anyway. And it seems to have slipped under the radar. And I suppose now it's it's kind of a, every single Christmas has come early for any for any cyber crime um would be a hacker trying to trying to dupe someone because not only as you've explained is everyone shopping online but it's really not getting the broader kind of coverage that you might expect it to yeah and 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 i think that's a, a fantastic point i mean all we see is um you know distributions of the number of cases uh, uh, on the tv news and in the newspaper on websites and and you know how many um, incidents we're seeing, how many people have been tested, unfortunately, how many people have passed away. We've seen all those statistics, um, whereas the education, and it, it's an important thing for us to raise awareness of around the potential uh, impact of financial crime, because it not only impacts um, you know, consumers of financial services, so people who are um, maybe not getting paid and need to be more careful with their money, maybe a, a small business that needs to manage their cash flow more uh, um, uh, smartly at the at the moment. So I think that, that we need to make people aware of this situation. And it's something that has been a trend for the last 10 years where financial institutions some fintech companies have been, uh, as, as well as having their own, um, you know, uh, pushing their particular products, they're also providing education around how they, uh, those products are secure. I mean, the number one reason why consumers of financial services do not adopt innovative financial services products and payment services is a concern about security. Security is now a, you know, a major concern in this crisis, and people should be aware of that. And I think that's, that's the sort of egalitarian um, approach that many people are taking on on, on forums like LinkedIn, where they're saying, okay, be aware of these issues. I've even seen some uh, folks posting on, um, on, on Facebook for, uh, um, you know, how to better protect yourself in this current situation. But I think it's, uh, you're spot on. It's not got the, um, the high profile that it probably uh, merits at this point. Now, um, the one point that you were keen to stress as well, or not not one point, sorry, but a number of points, but but one of the one of the key points you were keen to stress before we hit record was that financial crime is not a victimless crime, um, and I think that's a, that's an interesting point because it feels, I suppose, quite abstra abstract to a lot of people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things I've talked about a lot recently is uh, something like money laundering's never been more in the public consciousness than it is today. I mean, if you look on Netflix, there's like 20 shows that, that involve money laundering, some, um, you know, somewhat uh, humorous, others a bit more serious. But if you if you think about money laundering is the process of taking the proceeds of crime and laundering in them into some sort of legitimate asset. If you think about the predicate crimes that a lot of regulators are focused on, you know, they include things like um, elder abuse, human trafficking, obviously fraud, um, and, and, and you know, something like human trafficking. There are, according to the Polaris Project, uh, you know, there's close to, and, and also the International Labour Organization, there's somewhere between 25 million and 40 million people trafficked every year and exploited for sexual exploitation. 
and being sold into slavery. Uh, 75% of those people are uh, women and 25% are children. So the, the, I always talk about money laundering really being focused on three dimensions. One is you know, your compliance obligations. Obviously, we need to protect the financial system itself. And if we don't do that by um, um, uh, detecting and and stopping money laundering then it can undermine the financial system and you'll see a lot of people in this industry are really focused on that idea of doing the right thing and and years i think a couple of years ago there was an article in the times about people of my generation i'm sort of generation x being more likely to change their um, spouse than their banking relationship um that's not the case with uh, generation z and millennials who are more you know focused on um security but also the integrity of the organizations that they do business with and i think that's important for the organization to understand and and certainly for the you know, everybody to understand that money laundering is a direct consequence of these nefarious crimes you you make an interesting point there about doing the right thing and i suppose there's an interesting kind of crossroads here where technology is often seen as this instrument that could, that it's neither good nor it's bad but there is this perception that he's it's not always been particularly positive for society as a whole great for the individual not great for society as a whole but we can leverage technology and we can manage risk right in a way that does make sure that we manage finances uh in the right way and that it's a fairer system right absolutely and 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 you've covered this on some of your previous podcasts around how technology can enhance the experience and certainly through and the experience of you know uh, utilizing your financial services products um and and that uh, enhanced customer experience when combined with effective risk management, I think is a, is a benefit for all of us, that are, all of us that are consumers of financial services. And security and integrity can be a differentiator for financial institutions, for fintech companies. You know, I want to do business with customers, with um, uh, organizations that are protecting my money appropriately. I mean, that goes right back to the beginning of the origins of, uh, of, of banking and financial services. But, you know, fast forward, Five hundred years from um, you know, the Florentine bankers to, to now, and, and really you know, using technology to make sure we've got the uh, um, we can allow empower people to move money more quickly, to get access to their financial services through any channel that they have access to. You talked about this on one of the other podcasts that you did around you know, how do we make um, the same level of financial services available to all demographics, mm. all economic demographics in the uh, around the world. And I think technology, in this uh, um, through the, ad, the use of technology, we can make these services available to everybody. Do you see any great difference just coming back to that transatlantic um, piece? You know, you, you're from this, from from Southeast London. You've lived in New York for 25 years. Is there something that the UK and the way that finances are managed and and people are protected here that we could learn from the states or vice versa? Um, well, I think there's one of the things I notice in the UK at the moment is the collaborative nature of some of the um, uh, information that comes out of the FCA. I find there be, and I think this is a trend that started with um, the FCA in the UK, and now we see it with some of the regulators in in the US, where they're being they're encouraging collaboration between the regulators, the financial institutions, 
from the consumers of financial services. And I think we can both learn from um, you know, each of the regulators in the UK and the regulators here. I think they're being very collaborative with organizations. Um, I, I think um, yeah, I think that's the main thing I'd say at this point. Um, other things, it, it's sort of to use a sort of New York, what they refer to as a yogiism. It's sort of the same, only different. There are different channels here. The the um, adoption of real time payments is, um, you know, uh, uh, running a different pace here than the UK. Um, the adoption of across all financial institutions of a service like you um, uh, leveraging the SWIFT network is a little bit different, but the underlying problems are the same. And just looking to the future, how how do you see Fiserv? Um, I suppose playing a role in that market over the next couple of years. My, my impression has always been when talking to the fintech community in London that actually the, the fintech scene in the US in terms of the challenger banks and some of those other newer players in the space is actually less mature than it is here in Europe, never mind just London alone, where there are so many different offerings for consumers. Um, is, is there an interesting role for Fiserv to play as that marketplace perhaps in the US begins to mature? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're at the forefront of providing, um, you know, faster payment services of, of um, effectively managing risk around the, uh, the the faster movement of money. And this is a global trend around the adoption of um, real time settlement and real time payments. I mean, if you look at it from a SWIFT perspective um, around you know, high value payments, the SWIFT Global Payment Innovation Initiative actually um, doubled their, the value of transactions that went over that network. I think from around 40 trillion in 2018 up to 2019, where it's currently at like $77 trillion in um, um, payments that go over that initiative. And this is why everything is, you know, although we're, you know, I did read an article, I think in the New York Times a little while ago about maybe we're going to enter a period of, you know, um, unglobalization. But I think in the financial services market, we're all in this together. And the global movement of money is uh, something that uh, continues to increase. Um, 30, I think, around 50% of all those sort of international payments that go over SWIFT are actually credited to the beneficiary in about 30 minutes. And obviously, a lot of those payments are coming out of the US. So we have to make sure that we make uh, um, support the infrastructure here around real-time payments. And, and that's how, you know, as I come back to our um, whole aspiration, that's what we're doing, moving not only um, financial transactions, but data around the world to support financial services. And that's um, critical here in the US for Fiserv and for us globally. Well, look, it's, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for spending a few minutes on the phone. I know that it's, it's probably quite early still in New York, so I hope you enjoy the rest of your morning. And uh, fingers crossed we'll be out of this rather crazy situation that we're all in not too soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, David. Great speaking to you. Right. There's so much that we could talk about here. Um, I love his little little... I don't know whether it's a stat. It's not necessarily a stat, but but the uh, reference to Gen X being more likely to change their spouse than their bank account. And I think as opposed to millennials and Gen Z. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic to talk about because there there has been a generational shift, right? Massively in the last five years in particular, kind of people of my age and down who are willing to, you know, use Monzo, use use any number of different financial products if it mm-hmm. makes sense and they offer good value. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, oh, I, don't, I don't know, can, can we say being bargain whores? Is that, is that, is that, 
Well, why not? We do it in yeah. every other way. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with him. You know, I, I'd agree with Andrew. I, I, I'm I'm the same. You know, if, if there's a better bargain. I've, I think I've changed my bank account two, two times or, or three, three times if you want to include like a student bank account that I had for, you know, all the free rail cards and that sort of thing. But, mm. you know, in my 28, 29 years of, of, of living, um, I've, I've managed to, to change three times, you know, and, and each time because there's been some better deals or you kind of move along the system, you know, based on, on what you need at that point in your life. So when you need a mortgage, you know, you kind of maybe allocate all your finances into one bank or building society and then, you know, any offers, like, like you said, Monzo, um, we've had, mm-hmm. we've had this chat before when, you know, Ali was on the podcast as well and talking about how people, could change very quickly based on their finances and situation. So, mm. yeah, I, I'd agree with them. I'd agree with him. But it's a crazy stat, though. Out of crazy. interest, have you ever taken your salary and moved it out of one of the traditional banks? Uh, yeah. Have you had it paid into a Monzo, say, or a start startup challenger bank? Yeah, yeah, I have had it paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had it paid into a Revolut. So, if Revolut want to, you know, give me some, I don't know sponsorship or i don't know <laughs> but um, yeah <laughs> shout out to revolut um but yeah i've had it paid into revolut and to mm. be fair i must give credit to our internal um internal compliance and you know monitoring kind of team where i actually had to go through a security check on our mm. w- with our internal kind of payroll team um seeing as you know because i just sent a command through email so i had to go through a whole like questionnaire then got a random phone call on my mobile number from a random number that i didn't know and it was like yeah we're actually calling from your payroll team you know just want to go through and make sure this is you so fair enough it was um yeah. it was some decent yeah decent crime uh mitigation I whilst i i would definitely argue that it's a really positive step that more people are using innovative products innovative financial products because it will move the whole system on it then does kind of tie into that point that andrew is making around it's then important to protect the financial system and even more so if we're all using new products that you need to be sure are legit mm. and the, the the you know the the way that he describes um financial crime not being victimless i think it's very easy to think of uh money laundering as I don't know. We were talking about gangs of of of, of London, right? Before we hit yeah. record, I yeah. imagine that there is some fraud uh, and money laundering that goes on in that show. There is, there is, and it can sometimes and, be portrayed as something that's a little bit sexy and whatever else for TV. But yep. unfortunately, the reality is getting away from the entertainment side of a Sky original show is, you know, human trafficking. Twenty five million to forty million people traffic globally a year, predominantly women and children. Mm. Really, not a victimless crime. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, and I think, I think now so more than ever, and he he mentioned it as well, where you know places like Netflix or or Prime or whatever you know kind of movie or or TV show outlet you you watch, it there's all there's there's so much you know glamour around money laundering or financial crime. I mean, you know, you look at the biggest shows on Netflix, you know, the basis of that is money laundering and financial crime and Mm. you know showing how people have made millions and have lost millions and billions of of dollars or pounds by doing these activities and i think yes it's it's a good watch and people are at the edge of their seats but if you actually you know peel it all all kind of to, to the core um you are you know kind of advertising criminal activity right so it's um yeah whether or not you disagree or agree with that 
you know, that, that's obviously everyone's opinion, but I think what he mentioned was good. And I think, so I, I read something the other day where it said $180.9 billion are spent by financial services organisations on tackling financial crime. And that's kind of employing people like Fiserv or any other, you know, kind of um, organisations that would help kind of produce MI, produce data, you know, do the analytics piece which just goes to show that it's a massive industry by itself. And mm. within that, you've got various lines of defense that, you know, banks have all the way to, you know, auditors and, and kind of, you know, that kind of surveillance side. But then the, at the core of it or at the start of it is, you know, your, your kind of anti-money laundering, KYC activities, you know, that, that needs to take place and needs to be watertight. So, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. Um, well, I really... Happen. What do you think of the way that he likens it to a distributed denial of service, uh, a DDoS attack at the minute? Everyone is distracted. More money being spent online. There's less cash. We're not going into stores. It is that perfect storm. And organized crime is exploiting the situation. And and his, his way of, of, of talking about the fact that, you know, they are singularly focused on committing, committing crime. There's no regulation or red tape to hold these people up. And mm. I love that that. DDoS kind of analogy that there's just so much going on right now that it's very mm. easy for these actors to to slip under the radar. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you, if you go back and so let's look at things like Cambridge Analytica, you know, all these kind of various analytics companies where it's so easy to, I guess, something for to just pop up on our laptop screen or something to pop up on our uh, phones, you know, regardless of kind of what your theories are around Apple listening to you or whatever, but it's very easy for us to access a load of products or a load of, you know, kind of websites or things that we may be interested by um, and sign up and, and, and kind of play into the hands of these criminals um, and kind of people that, you know, would be looking to, to, I guess, take advantage of, of, of others and make anyone a victim, um, you know, from that side. But what I did like about what he said in the interview was, that taking advantage of kind of where we are at the moment um, from a, a case of financial crime, you know, this is an absolute haven for for these these people that or gangs or groups or whoever they are, um, because you've got so many people, you've got so many uh, frustrated, you know, kind of individuals at the moment and people that may or may not have a lot more disposable income now more so than ever because mm. of the, you know, the, the kind of social distancing rules and lockdowns where you know for the first time you're probably getting a lot of access to a lot of people at the same time um and that can only maximize business i guess you know from or well criminal business um from from these guys so yeah that's that's what i think i mean i don't, mm. I don't know where where you're sat with that one and not dodging your question but i i kind of am because i'm not in touch with myself <laughs> but uh, <laughs> with regards to linkedin updates have you noticed them is that just me being blind and stupid i hadn't really noticed anything about financial crime and and kind of yeah. being careful, being, you know, those updates on LinkedIn. Yeah, I have noticed them. And that, the only reason I have noticed them is uh, because the area that I kind of recruit in is is risk and, and financial crime, right? So a large part of my network and, and people that, you know, I speak to on a day-to-day -day basis and recruit for are the kind of risk compliance um, stakeholders within organizations uh, mm. and purely within financial services. So, you know, there was a lot of things that, that kind of came up. I think there's going to be a joint treaty that a lot of uh, financial crime kind of monitoring companies are making. Um, that was announced oof, about two weeks ago. 
Um, mm. So it's just going to be different regulators coming together, not anything official, but just sharing ideas um, and actually helping people like the FCA, you know, in, in terms of kind of who are going to be regulating these bodies to say, well, okay, Mr. FCA, you know, you might need to also think about ABCD or can we suggest because of the MI, because of the analytics that we've discovered for certain criminal activities, how about you just look a little bit, you know, further in the organisation um, before letting your regulators walk out the it's, door. It's good to hear that there is that feedback loop. And, yeah. you know, it's the situation that we face. Before, before coronavirus, we probably would have talked about, you know, self-regulation of mm. tech or you know, regulation coming from government or states or users helping to regulate, but yeah. it would appear that that's all coming together. It's a not, you'll see there's a nice link actually oh, uh, that we've we stumbled on into our news article. So we will take a quick break. Before we do, I just wanted to mention if you're in the UK and you can get to a Waitrose, uh, we are hosting a wine tasting uh, on Thursday night on Zoom, something a bit different, right? So if you're listening and you'd like to take part in a wine tasting, cost you about 35 quid down waitrose but it's a bit fun and a bit different we've got a wine educator and writer leading the session 7 p.m on thursday evening that's uh british summertime well drop me a dm or a message i'm on linkedin uh tech talks is obviously on twitter and instagram uh so get in touch join in if you'd like to but anyway we'll go to our advert break my fa- oh, that's like asking my favorite child <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite podcast uh, I think Football Ramble. House of Rugby. Um, Billy Yang's um, podcast. Freakonomics. Um, is Science Versus, and they're always very quirky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I listen to that a lot just because the camaraderie and the individuals. Your Cast is a brand new podcast series where we talk to people making podcasts. On this show, you're going to hear some exciting new talents as well as some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry. We're releasing weekly in all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts from. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Quick bit of technology news. Tech giants struggle to stem infodemic of false coronavirus claims. So critics say efforts are too little too late as research reveals vast majority of false claims appear online. So this is an interesting article. It's talking about Google, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, their responses to search results related to COVID-19. Um, they basically are similarly predetermined. So uh, if you go on Instagram, it delivers a pop-up urging US users to go to the website for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, or UK users to go to the NHS rather than look at memes and pictures tagged with Mm. coronavirus. On Facebook, there's a dedicated information center, a mix of curated information and official medical advice. Same on a lot of these other... um, Platforms. So stark interest to how social media platforms have dealt with misinformation in the past. Problem is, there's there's some research knocking about from Oxford's Reuters Institute looking at the spread of 225 false or misleading claims about the coronavirus. And they found that 88% of claims had appeared on social media platforms compared with 9% on television or 8% on news outlets. Uh, for example, nearly 30% of US adults believe that COVID-19 was developed in a lab. Mm. So I thought this was quite interesting because we were talking a minute ago about that feedback loop about the community coming yeah. together, uh, certainly within fintech, as a response perhaps to the situation that we're finding right now. Here, the social platforms are trying mm. to put the right message out there, 
But it would appear that 88% of those false claims are still being generated through those channels and platforms. So interesting. They're they're obviously trying a little bit of self-regulation in conjunction with governments and um, medical advice, etc. But users are not helping. No, they're not. But also, I, I just want to say one thing. Politicians that tell people that bleach may be the answer to end coronavirus, that's not helping either. You know, forget all the false no. claims online. When someone like that says, you know, maybe a bottle of Dettol might help, that's that's not helping anyone. But, yeah, going back to that point, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but even even memes and stuff have dried up a little bit now in terms of – I remember the first – couple of weeks when the uk was announcing lockdown you know there was almost about five six memes that i was getting either tagged in or seeing or yeah, sent yeah, yeah. you know on on kind of whatsapp or or these sorts of things but i think now they've just suddenly dropped in the last few weeks and i don't know if it's a conscious effort from whoever these kind of meme creators or whatever stuff is you know to actually see oh shit hang on this is a serious matter you know there's, this, there's- Hundreds yeah. of thousands of people dead. Yeah, exactly. And we can't really be Probably. making, you know, any kind of humor about it. But also at the same time, one thing I I fully I've seen all the stuff on Facebook in terms of the regulation, Instagram, all that. Absolutely agree with it. Absolutely agree with it. But I do have a I'm not sure. What if someone someone's language or first language isn't English, mm. for example, right? So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the content is is in um you know it is in in kind of english but you know what if there's people um i'm from an asian heritage there is a lot of older you know generations um that are in this country that you know don't necessarily you know speak english you know to 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 a level or 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 read it so my my concern is you know are there things like that available for them i th- i think the the government website has it um in different languages but you know all these kind of medical outlets and that sort of stuff you know it would that be available so interesting yeah yeah i mean it it is that that difficult thing isn't it and and your point amplifies it that so much is put on um social you know Mm. the sheer weight of posts every single day from all different sources in different Mm. languages from different communities yeah very difficult if you are facebook or twitter or whoever else it might be to mm. monitor all of those posts going up on your platform and yet mm. at the same time because these companies have created these platforms it is entirely their responsibility to try and get their head around it and get a handle on it yeah true, it's a hard true, one true and and i think I, I just think it's very hard for it's very hard for companies to uh, yeah regulate but also what do they put on and what don't they put on do you, do mm. you get what i mean it's just it's very difficult. I think everyone's trying to do the best they can. But obviously what we're forgetting is no one actually has the answer. Mm. No one actually knows, yeah, you know, social distancing rules and, you know, essential kind of travel only, this, these sorts of stuff. That's fine. That's in basic. But no one actually knows, you know, if, if there is a time limit. Do we now suddenly start to meet each other and people come self-immune to it? You know, who, who kind of knows? So I think they're, they're finding it very difficult to, to also guide people. But I think... If, if there's one bit of advice um, that we should give obviously listeners is use it, read it, but don't, you know, kind of have your own common sense or just do a bit of research, speak to someone that who may know a little bit more, you know, because what we Go don't want to official sources of information, official Trust, sources. Trusted yeah, news. exactly. Basically. Exactly. Um, but also don't keep watching the news as well. That's one thing I've learned. 
um, yeah, yeah. over lockdown, you know, once a day or whatever. Um, and then just make sure you're, you're taking in the right amount of knowledge rather than taking in anything and everything and, and just ended up going mad. We don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Well, look, Akish, thank you for joining me for today's show. Andrew, thank you for being our guest. If you're free on Thursday evening, join us for a spot of wine tasting. Apart from that, have a lovely week and we will talk to you soon.